Hey everybody, you're very welcome to episode 14 of season 2 of the Asking for a Parent podcast. It's me, Dr. Coleman Octor, and it's a real great pleasure to come and chat to you. So we're here, it's just the week after the Easter holidays, the kids are back to school, all of them, and I hope the teenagers from first year to fourth year are adjusting back smoothly. Um, It's been a challenging time, but there definitely does seem, again, I say this with trepidation, but some hope that we're turning a little bit of a corner. Our numbers are coming down. And I think from the point of view of, there does seem to be somewhat of a light at the end of the COVID tunnel. So I hope everyone's doing okay. We've got a great guest on the show this week. This person was somebody who interviewed me many times on the Ireland AM show. And she has a a number of small children who she's sharing her own experience of being parented growing up in Dublin and finding her way into broadcasting and then becoming a mom. And we talk about all the challenges and trials and tribulations involved in that. So it's a really great episode and I hope you really enjoy it. So without further ado, I'll let you listen to this week's episode. Anyway, on to today. It gives me great pleasure to introduce my guest this week to the Asking for a Parent podcast. Today's guest is someone who I've known for some time as she hosts the most popular weekend morning TV program on Irish television. I could go on and talk about her award-winning broadcasting achievements, her fantastic knowledge of fashion, or her work as an ambassador for various things like the Mary Keating Foundation and other interests. But one of the things that always stands out for me about today's guest is her genuine warmth and hospitality. When you're a guest on chat shows and radio programs, you understand that presenters are often under pressure or need to be mindful of their own notes and briefings, etc. But what has always stood out for me whenever I've met today's guest is her friendliness and effort to put you as a contributor at ease and show a genuine interest in how you are doing. And it's always stood out. And for all those reasons, it gives me great pleasure to welcome to the Asking for a Parent podcast, Ireland AM's very own, the lovely Anna Daly. Anna, how are you? Good morning. I'm pulling a redner here. That's so nice. <laughs> no, it is true, though, in fairness. My cheeks are hot. <laughs> anytime I've been on, you know, obviously, you know, people are under pressure and they're trying to get their own things done. But you've always made an effort to ask how are you and actually listen and wait for the answer which is uh, really does mean a lot when you're in that circumstance because for us who are not accustomed to being on telly you know you can be nervous enough going in and you know as I say it's it's old hat to yourselves in there but for us it it can be fairly nerve-wracking but I've always found you just have a wonderful way of putting people at ease and uh I wanted to thank you for that, I suppose. Oh, that's lovely because you know you're you're in your job like everybody else is in their job and you know you hope afterwards when you think about or you know my husband has started doing press for his new company and I've actually suddenly realized how far out of his comfort zone he is having to do media interviews and it gives you a new sense of what the guest is going through and I've even thought in recent weeks and months since he's been doing that I hope I was kind of considerate and genuine and nice enough to people who are totally out of their comfort zone because you can forget you're just doing your job you know so I'm delighted you said that thank you no no that's absolutely I always remember when uh, I was doing my nurse training somebody said to me you know just because you've taken 20 blood pressures that morning that's might be the first time they've ever had it taken so you always have to assume that you know everyone's doing it for the first time but uh, I don't know why that springs to mind but I definitely Anytime I've been in there, you know, even if in the breaks and segues and things, it's just been uh, it's just been really appreciated. And I wanted to ah, say that. That's lovely. That's lovely. We do have a bit of crack in there. All right. Oh, you're a lovely bunch. I have to say yeah. the whole team are fab. And, and, and we've had uh, Laura and Karen on in uh, season one and uh, two brilliant guests. Absolutely fantastic. So it's Good. great to have yourself. Now, 
2020-21, Anna, has been a year like no other. How the hell are you? <laughs> How's mm. it been for you? How is it all going? I'm probably going to give the same answer that everyone has probably given you to this, which is just bonkers, isn't it? And, you know, on a daily basis, I'm kind of thinking to myself, are we really still in this? Are we still carrying around the worry, uh, particularly for, you know, the older people in our lives, our parents in particular? I'm so impatient about the vaccine rollout. But listen, I'm not on my own. You know, I, I want it to happen, not for me or my kids, but for my, my parents and for the older people in our lives, because I feel then, you know, we'll all breathe a sigh of relief when the most vulnerable in society are protected. My dad has gone through cancer treatment. Um, my mum has has a lung condition. So I'm a bit anxious about both of them getting it as soon as possible. But listen, the whole country, we're all in the same boat, aren't we? And we all feel a bit impatient. No matter how quick that vaccine rollout happened, it wouldn't be quick enough for us. And I think there is that kind of, it's weird to situate listeners. We're locked down three and, you know, the vaccines are, we're seeing those stories of the great vaccine rollouts and seeing people on social media getting their jabs. And my own father got his two weeks ago. My mum is getting hers next week. So there's a big hope of relief and 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 there's a bit of a light at the end of the tunnel the flip side of that is that you know those numbers are still scarily high and there's still a high level of fatigue around the whole thing so you're kind of ambivalent in that you're hopeful in one sense and trepidation in the other it's a very it's a weird time. It is bonkers. You're, you're, it you're is. And you don't for... want to be tuning in every day to check the numbers. But uh, and maybe it's the the gig that I do in Ireland AM as well has me even more attuned to it. But I think we're all in the habit of checking the numbers every day. And then, you know, it's almost like checking the figures of your company. You know, it's it'll dictate your mood afterwards or your your sense of anxiety about the whole situation, you know. Um, yeah, the, the doom scrolling is really an issue. Exactly, exactly. And we want to be abreast of everything and we want to know when our parents are going to be vaccinated and when are they going to move on to the over 70s or the over 75s and what are they going to do about the hotel quarantines? So we are tuned into news and, you know, prime time and all of these current affairs shows so much more than we ever would be, you know. And mm-hmm. I do think we have to take time to read a book or to watch a Netflix um, series that is, you know, complete escapism because our mind needs that kind of color and balance I think doesn't it and is that what you've kind of used over the last while the bit of distraction to try and get through it or how how have you coped with it I mean again we'll get into this a little bit you're a mother of three so it's a busy house and you've had school closures and you've had all the different things that go with that but and it's funny because everyone in the first episode or in the first season said you know Coleman wants the school stay open I'll be okay. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely said those words several times. <laughs> but how have you coped with it all? Like, what's your go-to in terms of trying to manage it? I think the, the kids have actually been a brilliant distraction because, you know, children will still be hungry. They'll still want to bounce off couches, as you well know. Um, you know, they they want to keep active. They want to bake. They want to do their sports. So, I think you have to indulge them in a lot of that. And because you are looking after three children, you know, you're you're distracted from it. And it's a lovely distraction. And, you know, people, especially on Ireland AM, we've talked to the likes of yourself and amongst ourselves in, in, you know, the the Ireland AM presenters. We've talked about not wanting to scare our children about COVID. But actually, 
I'm coming at it from, I actually do want to scare them. And I kind of felt like I needed to scare them a little bit enough for them to do the hand washing and the mindfulness around the whole etiquette. Now we may have gone to the other extreme where, and I think children are amazing in terms of how, you know, they are sponges, aren't they? We have a four-year-old who behaves better than any adult I know when it comes to cough etiquette. And probably for the rest of his life, he'll cough into his elbow, you know? So they're probably habits that I've drilled into them now in the last 12 months that they'll carry on through the rest of their lives. But I did feel I needed to scare them enough to make those habits kick in and to make them realize that, you know, you can't, you know, just go out and jump on top of your friends on the road or, you know, you can't come in from playing and not wash your hands every single time, you know. So I think that's been the challenge again, isn't it? The challenge is trying to get somebody who, you know, is worried enough to do the right things, but yeah. not worried that they're up at three in the morning worrying about COVID numbers or people exactly. dying. Exactly, just, just the right <laughs> amount of worry. <laughs> and, and, and I always say it, fear is, it works, you know, and, yeah. and it's a very effective way of getting compliance. You know, that's why we see the ads for drink driving are so, you know, it's all shock and awe sort of stuff because it makes us sit up and listen. Do you know, it rings uh, home. So degree of fear is absolutely necessary. The balance is again, not, scaring the bejesus out of them either and yeah. from that point of view but um you you make that interesting point it's a, it's something i've often wondered about children like your little guys for they're learning the social etiquette in a very abnormal time do you know what i mean and i was, i wonder about when we're allowed to hug again or when we're allowed to shake hands will there be a reticence about that because you know this is the new abnormal for us because yeah. we've had a, a previous benchmark where we can see this is how we used. So we know this is what we have to do for now. But for that age group, and I have one myself, this is just what you do. They're learning it for the first time. Mm-hmm. And so it's a, it is going to be interesting to see how they readjust back to the old normal, if that makes sense. Yeah, um, I think children are very tactile. Like when I watch them with, you know, my my mom, their nana and granddad, um, you know, they're so uh, touchy feely in the nicest possible way. And I would hate for that to go away. I can't see us on the other extreme walking into meetings and kissing people in the way that we would have done 14 months ago without batting an eyelid, I can't see me going back to walking into a boardroom or, you know, a serious business kind of meeting and kissing everybody in the room. It just, that that feels so foreign to me now. It's funny because, you know, they, when you're, it's, it's a, how quickly it becomes ingrained in your mind. Like if you're watching something that's maybe been recorded before COVID and you're kind of going two meters or, you know, there's a kind of a yeah. shock that people are close together or if they're hugging or whatever the case may be. Exactly. Uh, Simon and I were joking about that recently. Simon Delaney and I, there was, you know, the, the uh, what do you call a time hop or whatever on Instagram, you know, and you see your pictures from a year ago and like the publicity pictures that we did organized by our employer, you know, very kind of formal shots of us that were obviously issued to press or whatever. Um, it looks like I'm sitting on his lap. Like it's absolutely <laughs> bizarre. The two of us were falling around laughing. It looks deeply inappropriate, but actually it was perfectly normal for the two of us to be leaning on each other and, you know, being that kind of touchy feely television couple kind of vibes, you know, oh, you will we ever do some, that again? Some, I don't know. Some red top tabloid to get a view of that and not realize it's a time hop <laughs> and there could be, it could be the center of another scandal. Oh, stop. What do you mean another one? <laughs> <laughs> Not yourself, not yourself. Um, so um, 
so this is a parenting podcast. We should probably talk about that a little bit. Yes. But um, so introduce us to who's at home, Anna. Who who's who are your family? Okay, so uh, we have Reese, is the four year old who I've mentioned. We have Ewan is next. He is seven. He's eight tomorrow, actually. So he'll have his second lockdown birthday. And James is our eldest, and James is nine. Um, and Ben is my husband. So there's five of us here at home. Is there a Welsh connection there? That's they're all very Welsh names, are they? No, they're not. A, well, they are actually. Sorry, Reese is a Welsh name. Um, Ewan is a Scottish name. Um, oh. My husband went to school, funnily enough, boarding school in Scotland, although he lived here in Dalgany. And when I was trying to pick, well, when we were trying to pick. <laughs> Freudian slip there. Total Freudian slip. Um, when we were trying to come up with uh, When baby I told names. them what we were calling our children. <laughs> exactly, yeah. He has all these school friends with lovely names, you know, and I, I started saying to him, remind me who was in your class again, because I just thought that, that there was this selection of, you know, they were slightly different, but not too try hard kind of names. Uh, and you and, and Reese were both in that bunch. So, yeah, that's where I took my inspiration from. How do you spell the Reese? Reese is or H-Y-S. Oh, lovely. Yeah, yeah. And Ewan is E-U-A-N. We did have a slight debate about that. And actually the midwife in the hospital uh, gave Ben the seal of approval on this. He was he was basically saying that Ewan McGregor has kind of anglicised his by doing the W. But the actual Scottish, if you're going to use it properly, is E-U-A-N. So we went with that. I, so I would we, think I was too tired at the time to argue. <laughs> I got the name. You can get the spelling. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Seems like a fair compromise. So you're outnumbered gender wise there, Anna. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, it's it's you live in a boy. Boy house. Yeah. And it's noisy and messy. And I think I've learned to suck that up. (laughs) It's not changing anytime soon. And I'm not getting a show house as much as I'd like one. So the uh, the girls wreck your head and, and boys wreck your house is it's living truth for you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Is it noisy? Yeah, it is. Um, And that's why the return to school has been golden, you know, in terms of the silence, because as much as I love the excitement and noise and laughter and color that they bring to have a morning where, you know, Reese has gone back to Eki now. So I have a couple of hours every morning until 12 o'clock of total silence. And it's just absolutely golden. It's so funny. you. I love the children and all that, but like, it's just such a novelty. It's funny because my my article in the examiner this week was exactly on that topic. You know, there was I was kind of reading articles and, and just reading people saying, oh, I really miss homeschooling and not having the kids at home and, you know, not kissing them on the head as they're doing the schoolwork at the table. And I genuinely said, I can't relate to that, you know. Yeah. And, and then I was thinking the fact that I don't miss them. What ages that, are yours, Coleman? Uh, Ten, eight and six. Oh, very similar. OK. Yeah. So I was kind of saying, because I don't miss them, does that mean I'm a bad parent? Do you know what I mean? And then I came to, I thought about it a lot and said, absolutely not. Like silence and peace and being able to do your work without the interruption of Seesaw and Minecraft is just normal life. That's what, you know, but um, I I had a very funny experience. My my first two went back, you know, on the, on the first day and um, I tweeted about how I was going to get so much done the next day. And, you know, people yeah. are coming back going, oh, Netflix. I was going, no, actually, I actually do want to get some work done. I'm really looking forward to it. And I went for my coffee at half nine, dropped them off and got back here, settled down, turned on the laptop. And I got a phone call from school saying, your daughter has a tummy ache. You need to come oh, and get her. And no. it's like, oh, I jinxed myself. Oh, <laughs> no. I bother on her. She was grand. But by my view of 
that was my I, I, I had jinxed it by gloating too much about the peace and quiet I was looking forward to the next day but I know uh, and you think you're going to get so much done and you don't necessarily it's very ambitious it, isn't it it was hard though wasn't it in terms of trying to do you would have had two homeschoolers and you know from the point of view I'm guessing you had all the the seesaw and yeah, all the very bits the seesaw logins and the different parents groups and trying to juggle between the two of them i find myself and i hope other people have done this um replying to one but talking about the other child and then realizing <laughs> oh god that's the wrong group that's the second class and not the third class group and then you're trying to get it back and you're trying to explain yourself and you're digging your hole even deeper or the the fear and the knot in my stomach that i got i'm gonna say two or three times when you realize you've missed the zoom call oh, you yeah. just feel like the worst parent in the world please tell me you did that i did yeah yeah i missed <laughs> the uh, gaa one uh, which was the the, the real highlight of the week and of course oh, stop coleman got ready to tune in at 11 o'clock and it was like and that's the end of that lads so we need to <laughs> so oh, instead it's oh. a total sickener isn't it yeah no just Poor organization on my behalf. Hands yeah, up. Absolutely same here. And I had to say that as well, because my husband gave me a bit of a look and I was like, <laughs> I, I just have to be honest. I'm just trying to juggle too much here. But I do think there was something about it was fundamentally impossible. Do you know what I mean? Like there, I would openly say I, I started that job in September, but when I was homeschooling the kids here and they were all at home, if I was performing at 60%, I'm being kind to myself do you know what I mean from the point of view of like it we can't split ourselves in two you cannot do like multitasking is a digital myth you know it's certain you there's no research to prove that you can do three things to the same extent as you can do one at a time do you know Mm, what I mean of course Um, and do it properly but it was this it was this horrible thing of running in feeling like a lousy employee and then feeling like a lousy parent and it was I would really think it was no win. Do you know what I mean? From that point of view. And you know, my husband would probably relate more to that because he was trying to do everything from the house. Whereas at least when I'm in work, proper work mode, when I go to Ireland AM, I, I, I drive out of the driveway and I'm gone and I'm actually work hat goes on. So, and there's genuinely no distractions because you're in a TV studio and there's no, I was going to say there's no working from home. We actually have taken turns in dialing in from home just to keep the numbers in studio down. But I suppose when I'm in work, I am in work. And that's been a really welcome distraction from it all as well. It's also been a very legitimate reason to drive away from the house (laughs) (laughs) with a smile on my face. (laughs) But no, it has. It's been it's been lovely. And actually, as much as we've covered the sadness and the numbers and, you know, you're always conscious of a family grieving behind every one of those numbers that you read out on the front of, you know, the newspaper headlines. We've had a, a really nice mix of laughing at ourselves. And if people have laughed at us or with us, it really doesn't matter if we've put a smile on someone's face in the midst of a pandemic, you know, whether we've been recreating the latest TikTok routine or whatever rubbish it is. Do you know what I mean? It's been it's been a real distraction for us and hopefully for the viewer as well. I, I always remember Karen saying, Karen Coster said, you know, that it's like, you know, the, the crew on a plane, you know, and, and once you're smiling, the plane isn't going down and trying to, you know, hold the spirits of the nation up in a time when, you know, it's a really actually important role when you think about the role of distraction and determining the spirits of a nation, you know, when you're tuning into something like that, that there is 
Like, I, I do believe that the most important thing we've had to be able to do is remember how to laugh for yeah. the last year. Do you know, there's so and, many... you know, there's a guilt that comes with that because I, I find that I struggle in my head sometimes with that. Even pre-COVID, if we had a harrowing story on the couch and we've had several, oh, so many over the years that, you know, you'd be reading notes the night before and even before you meet the person on the couch, you are absolutely brokenhearted for what they've gone through. And then you do the interview and then you throw to a break and the floor manager, because it's the very nature of the show, so I'm, I'm not blaming anybody, but it's like fashion's up next. Mm. And you're, you're like choking back the lump in your throat and you're trying to compose yourself and you know your mascara's you know, now on your cheeks. And <laughs> it's, really, it's really tricky because in my head, I'm thinking, this looks really shallow of me now to just move on so quickly from absolute heartbreak to you know, shoulder pads are back. You know, it just feels so disingenuous in a way. But that is the I, nature of a show like that, where you have to... I, I think it's necessary, though. Do you know what I mean? I, and I think there have been shows that have probably been overly bleak over the yeah. last year. And, you know, you we need the little bit of a lift or a change or a joy or a distraction. And, you know, almost having 20-minute slot where COVID isn't mentioned is as valuable nice. as the other. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So um, I, I fully appreciate how the gear change must be incredibly hard emotionally when you're doing that. But um, I, I do think there's the light relief piece is necessary for us. Do you know what I mean? I think we... Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And for a show that's on air for three hours, you can't do dark bleak no. for mm -hmm. three hours on end or you wouldn't have any viewers left and we'd all be depressed. So the producers are spot on in terms of, you know, keeping that, that balance and that mix going. But in but my head, I struggle sometimes. It's difficult too, though. You know, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and I just don't want to look like this kind of, okay, switch that on, switch that off. You know, now I'm crying, now I'm sad, now I'm happy. Do you know what I mean? And in my head, I'm a I, I struggle with that a little bit sometimes. But I know the bottom line is you, you jump into, into, you know, a happier mood because that's what's required of the next segment, you know. But you're, you, the three of you are a great advertisement for that show because every one of you has said, you know, sitting in the car and putting on game face and heading out was something you all looked forward to. <laughs> Oh, really? Oh, I'm delighted. Okay. <laughs> so the, the question we always ask, and again, in terms of the, being a parenting podcast, the only parenting template any of us have is our own. Do you know what I mean? In terms of where we grew up. And I, I was looking up kind of bits of research on you, Anna, and I know nothing about your early experiences of growing up or where, what your own family were like. Mm. So if you think back to that, what was your parents' parenting style if there was one even at that point and what where did you grow up what was it like and who was in your family so I grew up in Temple Oak and uh, there was my mom and dad and my brother who's four years younger David who lives in Australia now and uh, I probably grew up I'm thinking of Karen and Laura as well who've chatted to you and I'm guessing I'm probably going to say something similar in that I had a very 80s child upbringing I wasn't extracurricular to within an inch of my life the way my children are or our children are now I was out on the road with my pals morning noon and night called in for my lunch back out to play called in for my dinner back out to play until it got you know too dark that you wouldn't be allowed but in one sense I'm going to say I had a lot of freedom in the other I'm going to say I was under the watchful eye of my mom at all times you know because 
there was the road there and they were your friends. And actually, when I talk to my husband now, I, I realized that my life growing up in Temple Oak, I, I grew up in Temple Oak. I went to primary school down the road. I went to secondary school around the corner. I, I lived were you in St. Maria, Our Ladies or McDara's? I was McDara's. Okay. Um, and it was a bubble, you know, like everybody I knew. In fact, there was a guy who joined my school and he lived in town. Um, he's a movie director now, famous movie director, Lance Daly. And he joined my school. I think we were in second or third year at the time. And I genuinely thought he was the most exotic person I'd ever seen <laughs> because he came from South Circular Road or something. And I was like, he's come from town, you know, like he was. People live in town. People live in town. Exactly. Exactly. They don't just go in there to shop. He lives there like genuinely exotic. And that makes me laugh looking back on that now because my husband grew up in Delgany. He went to uh, school in Bray. Then he went to boarding school in Scotland. Then he went to university in Bristol, you know, and has lived in lots of different places just because the nature of the way his, his dad's work was. And it just seems so exotic compared to this very limited bubble that I grew up in. Do you know what I mean? There's no right or wrong or there was nothing wrong with my childhood, but it just feels very kind of insular. It was like a radius of one kilometer for about 20 years. <laughs> well, as, as an, an alumni of Temple O College myself, I ah, really with your bubble. Yeah. Oh, that's but, gas. I was one of those guys who used to come in from the country on the 65 bus. I'm guessing in McDowell's you'd plenty of those as well. Get so the Blessington here. crew. Yes, yes. Yeah. So we were the guys who had to run out to get a bus because if we missed it, there wasn't one for two hours afterwards. So and you were always early. I always remember. Yeah. That. Yeah. <laughs> we used to get to school around six o'clock in the morning and yeah, wait around. Yeah, I'd be late because I'm around the corner. But uh, yes, I'm familiar with that bubble. So, so you're, you had that kind of 80s freedom, but under the watchful eye. And it was just you and your brother. Were you, you were the eldest. I was the eldest. And uh, he kind of kept my, I'm going to say my mom, because, you know, in that very traditional, you know, 80s time, it was very, and I, I don't think I, my family was, was unique here, but our mother was our mother. And even though she went back to work, she was kind of, watching us all the time and feeding us and caring for us and my dad was very much the dad who went to work do you know what I mean so he mm. wasn't um you know it was kind of that wait till your dad gets home kind of kind of vibe you know she was the the constant I suppose um but my brother would have been in all sorts of trouble and you know was very naughty and mischievous and got up to all sorts of stuff so actually I looked like a bit of an angel in comparison, but what I did was kind of just sailed below the radar because he kind of created all this fuss over here. And I could have done almost the same things and get away with it because I was just quietly moving over here under the radar. So you um, had that wonderful teenage capacity, which not a lot of people have, which is savviness. <laughs> you were savvy. I don't know if I was always that savvy now, if I'm honest, but... I definitely learned that he's taken a lot of the limelight over here. And you know what? You can knock yourself out with that because I'll quietly get away with more over on the other side. And were you the typical oldest child, Anna, in being very conscientious and hardworking and diligent? I think I knew when to knuckle down. So uh, we, we talked about the mocks recently on the show and someone said something about there won't be any mocks this year. And I looked at Simon and I said, Jesus, I needed the mocks. It reminded me of, you know, that moment where you go, oh, I needed that kick up the arse. So I may not have been that constant studier. I wasn't that constant studier. Um, and I was kind of easily distracted by, 
giddy antics and you know all the other social stuff that was going on and I'd loads of different kind of groups or friendships and stuff but when I did my mocks I remember thinking okay now I need to knuckle down and I was that kind of crammer studier and almost pulling all nighter and I get the results that that I needed to get but it would be under a bit of pressure at the last minute. And your parents kind of that 1980s very typical organic style of parenting where there probably wasn't needed to be a lot said from the point of view it was kind of known already. Um, what was your experience of it? I mean, obviously, you mentioned that they were busy dealing with your brother a lot of the time. But um, what was the thing that they what would, what would you have taken from that experience of being parented that you would bring into what you do now? Oh, it's tricky. I mean, I can't knock them for how how they they managed us um, because I always felt if I had a problem or an issue, I could always talk to them. Um, I remember being bullied by a horrible girl at school and I had a very open relationship with my parents and was able to communicate that with them. And I've only said, said that to my own children recently. You know, you can talk to me about anything whether you think I'm going to be annoyed or not, I'll only be annoyed with you not telling me what's going on or, you know, not telling me the truth about something. Um, so I did have a, a lovely, honest, open relationship where, you know, they, they dealt with the problem and they went to the school. Um, and so I suppose, what am I trying to say? When I needed their help, they were there. And there was always a watchful eye going on, whether it was uh, a more subtle one for me because maybe they didn't need to be, you know, overseeing everything I did. There was a trust, I suppose, there. And so that that availability was known to you, that you could go there if you needed to, and they they were approachable from the point of view of... Oh, completely. Your... I mean, I would have told my mother everything growing up, you know, everything. Um, and we almost laughed about the, the Marion Finucane moments where she would say, you know, you asked to go to Wesley, and, you know, Marion Finucane's talking about it now, and there's not a hope you're going there because I've heard all the stories and like I would have battled with her for it for a, over it for a while until we eventually got it over the line and we were allowed to go but even then I was able to kind of laugh and joke with her and push her buttons and you know have a very honest kind of girly relationship with her and I get a sense yourself and your mum are very close still very close yeah I mean I talk to her every day several times a day sometimes and I could run anything past her or tell her anything you know so yeah she's best friends really and when you're coming through those years in secondary school and things like from five years of age do you know you want to be Anna Daly who presents a morning show at the weekend oh or god no no I wasn't that child who was kind of performing for their parents I always imagine tv presenters are kind of you know putting on shows or presenting the news in the corner of the sitting room or something for their parents I was never that child at all um I for some reason had a fascination with hotels and we'd obviously been on holidays around Ireland and I thought that the whole reception check-in process at hotels was absolutely fascinating so I got a typewriter one Christmas was my favorite ever toy and I kind of set up this mock reception in the dining room of, of our sitting dining room at home. And I would have all these keys hanging on the edge of the table. And my mom and dad had to, of course, my brother wouldn't play along because he was like, whatever. Um, even though he was younger than me, embarrassing. Um, <laughs> but my parents would have to play along and pretend to check into the hotel. And I'd do the, you know, I'll just check your availability or whatever. So that was like 
fascinating to me the whole hotel business I even asked could I do work experience in a hotel on in transition year like I genuinely was fascinated by it so a t- like I I was in tv3 working as the marketing manager before I ever went on air so it definitely wasn't something that I was pursuing I think that's hilarious because uh, of the 90s generation I can remember there was this thing about hotel and catering management it was that's probably right. one of the most popular courses that that's people- right <laughs> I don't know. Was there? There was a series in the eighties called Hotel. I think there was kind of a, yes. a thing about that. But everyone kind of had some sort of obsession with hotels. <laughs> it it's was, bizarre, isn't it? But uh, but even though uh, you weren't um, a, a chambermaid or working in the back kitchen, you were front of house. I was even front then. of house. Well, that's true. Never thought about it like that. Yes, you're right. Actually. <laughs> and so, how did the? Uh, the child who's pretending to be a receptionist in the four seasons um end up doing what did you say you did marketing was it marketing yeah to be honest when i was doing the cao form i can't remember which marketing course i chose but i chose something that i didn't get the points for i think it was like marketing through with german or something in dcu and i didn't get the points for it so i went to rathmines college at the time and i did marketing for two years there international marketing it felt like one of the one of the the subjects I loved in school was business studies because that made way more sense to me than maths did. Do you know when maths moved into trigonometry and sine, cos, and tan and all that stuff? Like that, I, I I worked through that to get through it, but I never understood it properly and I never liked it. Whereas business studies for me, the profit and loss account, the mini company, that all made perfect sense. That felt to me at the time like this is stuff you'll use going forward. So I had respect for that subject, if you know what I mean. And I think that's where the marketing thing came from. And around that time, like you're, you're mentioning the hotel catering thing was popular. You're spot on. The other thing was marketing. The, the, the whole feeling around it was if you're not sure what to do and, you, you know, you want a general business degree. It was like the arts of the business degrees. Wasn't it? Do marketing. So I did it and I did the first two years in Rathmines and then I transferred out to Dunleary and I did the next two years out there. And that's where I actually built a whole new network of friends and I met my husband and all that kind of stuff out of it. And I got my first marketing job in Bank of Ireland and I absolutely hated it. And I thought, oh my God, I can't, like I just, I'm not a corporate person at all. And then I went to work in a radio station and I thought, okay, this is more me you know, less structure in terms of everybody has to take their break at 11 o'clock. And I just didn't appreciate any of that kind of being told when to take breaks when you're a grown adult. And then I went into TV3 in more of a sales role, but they knew, I mean, my, my head was going to marketing and eventually I got to marketing and that's, that was my career trajectory and my plan, you know, there was never Uh, presenting in the mix. And what was your parents' view on that? I mean, obviously, like marketing was the kind of arts of the 90s, you know, and we had Bizorg. Do you remember that? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It was called Bizorg, not business studies. You're you're right. Yeah. And uh, so were they, would your parents have been encouraging around that or would they have thought, you know, permanent pensionable or would they have been, you know, were you, you were kind of, you were saying you were kind of at a loose end. You didn't know what you were kind of wanting to do when you left school. So were they encouraging that or supportive of that or how did that go? They were actually always supportive of everything, but what they never really got their head around was, and this is just a different generation thing. They're total pension, permanent pensionable people, right? Um, because that's the generation that they're part of, you know, something secure. Whereas I had this part-time job while I was in college in TSB Bank in Black Rock. It was like in the call center. It was a nice part-time job, actually. But when I finished college and I wanted to go to Australia with my pals, 
they're kind of shocked that I was willing to walk out of the bank job. They were like, she's got a job in the bank, you know, and she's like just walking out of it. Like, it doesn't matter. And I was kind of saying to them, like, <clears throat> I'm going traveling and I've saved the money to go traveling. And then when I come back, like, I'll, I'll reapply again if I want that job. You know, it's just a different attitude. And theirs would be, oh, my God, you got the job in the bank. Don't mess with this, you know. It's um, so funny because I, I interviewed um, Niall Muldoon, the ombudsman for children there a couple of weeks ago for the podcast. And he, yes. his father introduced him once as this is Niall. He's leaving the bank for the second time. Yeah. <laughs> so this, like the bank was literally a banker. It was the job to have for permanent pensionable, you know, safety, security, etc. That's and, it. <laughs> and so this so would I be right in saying that you would have a kind of an entrepreneurial spirit about you you strike me as someone who has an interest in that side of things totally yeah and and for years uh, the, the ideas have been rattling around my head in terms of doing something for myself because as a tv presenter it's a it's a joyous job it's absolutely wonderful and one day is completely different to the next and there's so many upsides to it but one thing you don't have is control over what you're doing next, over where you're going, over what topic you're covering. So to launch my own business, which is what I've done in December, gives me total control over something, you know, the look, the feel, the color, the brand, the, the clothing, everything about it is mine. And that that's actually really liberating for me. My husband has definitely rubbed off on me as well. You know, he, he started a new business. They lost their family business this time last year. It was very sad. And he was very quick to get going again with his brother and sister and they've set up Kalidi.com, which is an online nursery business. So there's no doubt that, you know, being around him and people like that give you, it's the mox thing again, you know, that kick up the arse to go, take a chance, take a gamble, put yourself out there, stick your head above the parapet. And, you know, if you actually, I suppose with the fashion thing on Instagram, you know, so many people would come looking for your outfits or this daily outfit that I kind of built very organically. And suddenly I felt, you know, I really should do something for myself out of that, you know, and who doesn't need a backup plan after the year that we've been through, you know, so it's been very really brave nice... to be starting a business in the middle of a pandemic. I know. I, I know. And I should have done it years ago, but actually I would say reckless, <laughs> <clears throat> possibly reckless, especially for a family to, for two people to start up two businesses. But anyway, um, what COVID gave me, Coleman, apart from the worry and anxiety like everybody else, is a sense of downtime because there wasn't the usual kind of corporate gigs that I would, you know, MC events or, you know, I suppose work on other stuff outside of Ireland AM. All of that stopped and we weren't going anywhere and we had no social life. And actually it, it gave me a chance to build the brand that I've wanted to build for years. So I used that time and hopefully I look back on it and think I actually did use the time quite wisely. And even if it's one in the morning when the kids are obviously in bed and I'm tapping away on the laptop, it feels good. It's not like work, you know, and I think that's important that you're enjoying what you're putting together and building something for yourself. Yeah, I think you're, I can absolutely relate to what you're saying. I mean, I, I, as much as the podcast was something we did very altruistically to offer people support and um, I've uh, and make no bones about it it has helped me survive the last year you know just keeping busy and and yeah. i don't find this work i find this fun jittering so from the point of view but um it kind of necessity breeds invention in that way Do you know absolutely. what absolutely I mean? and i bet you were toying with ideas like that for for a years. while before years. yeah there you go yeah yeah last question i'll ask and then we'll get on to the parenting piece yeah uh, how did you go from being in sales to in front of the camera 
How does that happen? I suppose the nature of the job was uh, I, I was in marketing and I, I got promoted to marketing manager and I was absolutely delighted about that. Like that's where I wanted to be. And the nature of that gig is that you end up liaising with all of the different producers on all of the different shows because you're deciding where the budget is going in terms of marketing those programs. And I built up a relationship with all of the producers, but one producer in particular, Victoria O'Brien, and she said to me at, at some stage, you know, in the middle of a meeting, and I think I was mid-sentence, and she went, have you ever been screen tested? And we laughed and joked about it. And I did that real Irish thing of, oh, God, no, that's far too vain. <laughs> and I think I took it home to my husband at one stage. He was my boyfriend at the time. And I told him, and he was like, why would you like instantly just dismiss something like that, you know? And I was like, because it's real notionsy, you know, it's real vain. And I'd be so cringy about it. <laughs> he was like, I think you need to have notions. a think about that. It's notion. See, this is the Irish thing. And, 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 and that's where I suppose he, he's come from a different world where he doesn't necessarily think completely like an Irish person, if you know what I mean, although he is Irish. And I need that sometimes for some, someone else to go, hold on a second. And his line was, and it kind of stayed with me, you know, in 20 years time, you could actually live to really regret being so dismissive of you know a possible opportunity like that so I did uh what's a real typical thing that I would do I very quietly did a night course in the Bill Keating I think it's still there in Milltown and it was producing directing presenting it was different kind of strands rather than just you want to be a presenter um, and I did that in my own time with my own money and I absolutely loved it. I mean, I would finish work in, in the marketing department and drive to Randla on this night course that went on for, I don't know, 12 weeks or something. And I loved going to it. It wasn't like this chore of a night course that I'd signed up to. So I suppose out of that, I realized, God, I do actually really enjoy this. And after the, after the course, I went back to the same person and said, look, if I'm not too late, I would love to do that screen test. And that's kind of where there wasn't a role, actually, but they started screen testing me in the background. Uh, and I did a bit of sneaking around for a few months as they screen tested me six times, I think, until eventually they offered me the Ireland AM reporter role. And it, my whole career changed. Fantastic. I just think there's two really wise things that, that Ben has said there. I think the two important questions that we always have to ask ourselves, and sometimes we don't ask ourselves it, but the first one is, why not? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's such an important question. And the second one is always regret something you did rather than something you didn't do. So thank true. You ben for that, you. Thank you, Ben. Absolutely. For thinking differently to me and for having my best interests at heart, I suppose. But also that not regretting line that you've just come up with as well. That's so true of, of the business thing, like Little Bliss. So many times I've read that and thought I need to do it. And if people don't love it, well, at least I know that I've tried. Mm. you know that I've, I've put myself out there in another guise and it hasn't worked you know mm. it has worked thankfully but you know it is that gamble isn't it yeah it's, it's the why not rather than the what if you know yeah. in some respects uh, yeah so then Anna you become mom how did that change things <laughs> um quite dramatically wow you can't prepare yourself yeah James came along and uh I was working on Ireland AM and uh, you know working in a job where you know you could be going to London tomorrow but you don't know it yet and it's six o'clock in the evening you know it was it was very kind of fly by the seat of your pants type of gig which was amazing 
But then when a child comes along, it kind of changes things a little bit and you have a teething baby all night and suddenly you're on the red eye flight to, to London to do interviews. And I suppose it was that point where I thought I probably need to look at a little bit of structure in my life in terms of, you know, having some sense of what when I go to work and, you know, a timetable. So, yeah, I mean. Someone to tell you when to go and break. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Going back to the Bank of Ireland thing. Uh, no, I never want that. I never want to be part of the whole floor who stand up together and uh, have their break, which I'm sure doesn't happen now, by the way. But no, I suppose uh, it made me think of changing the role slightly or altering life to, you know, you have to, don't you? A baby comes along. And I, I always think whether you have one child or, or five children, you're in kind of mammy or daddy mode. You know, your time is not your own once you have a child. Um, but it does put a bit of focus on your life as well. And I suppose it made me push for, you know, I, I pitched the idea for the weekend show so I could get more structure in my life as the, as the kids came along and life got busier at home. And thankfully, TV3 now Virgin totally worked with me on that. And we, you know, it all evolved as, as the children came along. And now it's very kind of family friendly, I would say. But yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, there's no handbook, is there, for parenting? And how did it change you? I don't know. Did I become a bit softer, possibly? I feel since I've had children, I'm probably a bit um, more emotional, kind of less tough about things. Well, I was always a bit of a softy, but I think it shaves any hard edges off you once you become a parent. You're less selfish because you're thinking about others. And suddenly the worries that you had before children totally change and you're, you're just worried for them, aren't you? It's what, like, do whatever you want to me, but don't, don't upset my children kind of thing, you know? You see life out of a different lens, I suppose. There is a fundamental shift in priority. I think that definitely yeah. happens. But you also, I think, become a little bit more economic with your time, you know, from the point of view of... I, I, I was talking to Laura Mahoney, the comedian, and she was saying that, you know, she would after she had kids, she became harder to direct as an actor, right? So they'd go to the thing and they'd say, right, for the first week, we're just going to walk the space and, you know, breathe yellow. And she was like, that's not going to happen. I'm not going to be, you know, <laughs> away from my children and breathe, walking a room. Give me lines. I'll learn them and I'll have them for you next week. So there was a kind of a, as she put it lovely, the, the fannying days are over. Do you know what I mean? From the yeah. point of view. Very, um, very true. <laughs> and everything just becomes very focused or yeah. econ economical or, yes. you know, can I afford to do this at the moment? Do yes. You know? And th those meetings about more meetings frustrate you even more because oh, yeah. you're thinking I could be getting lots of stuff done right now. <laughs> and I'm not talking about glamorous stuff. I'm just talking about stuff, basic stuff, you know, shopping, whatever needs on. to be done. Get the wash on <laughs> into the dishwasher. <laughs> <laughs> so with three boys all in that kind of what did you say four seven uh, four and seven and nine nine um in a similar life stage to me that's there's lots of questions around what's coming next or do you have parenting questions wonderingments do are the things that you would see as a challenge or something that would you'd be interested to know a little bit more about. Yeah. I mean, I kind of feel like I'm challenged on a daily, hourly basis at times, but I think every parent probably feels like that and you just try and make the right the right choice at the right time. I've also learned, and I, I think it's important if there's any new parents tuning in here, that your worries, what you're worrying about today in relation to your baby or your child is gone this time next week. Now, it probably will be replaced by another worry, 
but they're all quite short lived, aren't they? Which means they're probably not big, major worries. But I think I kind of wish someone had told me that when I was worrying about minor details on my first baby, because everything James did or moved or, you know, I I was paranoid about or I was hoping all the time or worrying all the time that I was doing it the right way. And I think it's important to tell people that actually, you know, you're you're overthinking the hell out of it on your first child. <laughs> um, in terms of where I am now, Coleman, I'm just going to use you for your advice and hopefully you won't invoice me at the end of this. I have a four year old who's grinding his teeth. Now, maybe that's more of a medical question than a psychological question. I, I don't know. You can tell me, but it's really hard to listen to. And is it during when he's awake or asleep? Asleep. OK. There's some thought around it being possibly emotional. Oh, you don't know, say the, stressed. Don't say my four-year-old is stressed. <laughs> um, there's, there's lots of evidence to suggest it's not. So it okay. is a biological issue. Um, I mean, again, something like our, our mind and body is very closely linked. So the, the idea that, and the way, best way to prove that is that when we get embarrassed, our face goes red. Embarrassment is an emotion our face is a physical thing. So there's definitely a connection between how we feel and what our body does in response to that. Mm. So sometimes things like a stutter or uh, tummy pains or they, they can get worse at times of stress and they get better. That doesn't mean that that's the cause of them, but it can definitely aggravate it just okay. from the point of view of that. So the, uh, I mean, there, there's obviously dentists that would have worries about the physical erosion of teeth and you know getting different mouth guards and things like that. But I would look for for patterns to see if it is if there's certain times when it gets a little bit worse or is it is it when he's more tired because some of it can be a sensory seeking thing. So we're just seeking some sensation that makes us feel pleasant. You know, okay. that's nothing pathological about that. We all have those things, whether it's you know, sucking your thumb or rubbing your eyelids or, you know, the various different things that, that people do. And that we oftentimes reach for those things when we need to soothe ourselves more. I don't think that's probably the origin of it, but I would imagine it might exacerbate it. So okay. whether he's tired or whether the week has gone busy or if there's lots of change. Like for a four-year-old, the stresses of life of a four-year-old are very different to what we would imagine. Do you know what I mean? So, you know, a new person joining crash could be massively big for I them know, even though we would see that as something world. insignificant yeah. but every behavior has meaning and as if we're going to try and understand the meaning behind the behavior you have to understand it through the eyes of the child so mm. you have to look at it as a four-year-old rather than looking at it as a in my case a 43 year old you know what I mean so from the point of view of where, where we're saying I don't think there's anything in his life that's major that's not major to you doesn't mean it's not major to him do you know what yeah. I mean so and and I would always say at that age, change, transition, uh, difference. Uh, these are things that tend to discombobulate children of that age because they, they, they love permanency and certainty and reliability and consistency. So when there's that, when that's thrown out of the mix and that might be a return to childcare after a period of cocooning, it might yeah. be uh, brothers going to school who were always around before. It might be, you know, mum doing different hours that these are very subtle things that and these aren't, they're not traumas. They're just things that are creating uh, every action has an equal reaction within the child. And so it doesn't mean that you have to stop it or change it or change it back. It's just about helping them to adjust to the transition. Yes. And I would look for things like the tummy pains, the grindings, the, the stutters, those sorts of things as a communication of okay. perhaps something. But your first port of call would be a dentist 
from the yes. point of view to see if there's anything in it. Again, you always rule out physical before you go to psychological origin. But for me, we, we see these things far too separately. You know, it's either psychological or it's physical. The reality is they're both. Do you know what I mean? So from the point of view of, you know, if I have a job interview or something, I know my stomach is going to be in bits for a few days out beforehand or, you know, and that's pure stress. That's pure anxiety. You know your triggers. Or, yeah. And, you know, if, if people are not good at giving presentations and they stand up to give something, you see this redness coming in their neck. And, you know, yeah. there's, there's nothing pathological about that. It's just your body reacting to stress. And sometimes we, we reach for, like over COVID, we did a research piece recently and people are, you know, they're drinking more alcohol, they're eating more food. Yes, maybe that's because they're bored and they're at home, but also it's a, a, a reaching out to soothe ourselves. In it's a time comfort, of, yeah. yeah. And, you know, I, I had a chat with my sister recently about Lent and she goes, I'm not giving up anything, I've given up enough. Do you know what I mean? And <laughs> my food is my only pleasure I have left, you know, from the point of view. That. I'm with her. <laughs> so so I, I think from the point of okay, view... Okay, so yeah, the pattern is important and just to keep an eye on that. And, yeah. and again, the question I would always ask in, in first, in any assessment or any sort of intervention is why now? Yeah. Why now? Okay. It's the most important question in the question because it's why now in that this has been happening for years and why are you coming now or why has it come to your why is it on the radar now it's obviously there's been something of a change or a shift or something noticeable but uh, every behavior has meaning do you know what I mean and the three things that children tend to to try and use behavior for is the first one is control the second one is communication and the third one is to calm you know, mm. so I, in my sense, the grinding teeth would be more likely to be calm, just trying okay. to calm himself. It's a soothing thing, you know. Okay, uh, yeah, like a self-soothing. Um, yeah, okay. um, but it may well be exacerbated by a tough day or a tiredness or, you know, and many of those things parents And will could like. it be replacing the dodie that he no longer has? The soother, sorry, we call it a dodie. Yeah, yeah, quite possibly. I mean, but again... I've um, managed to kind of wean him off that and it just disappeared slowly but surely. And now again, notice it's gone. But the purpose of that is sensory seeking, you know, yeah. and again, the 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 emotional attachment to the dodie is as important as the physical one. But yeah, when the you know, if you know, if somebody gives up the fags, they'll start chewing the tops of pens. Do you know what I mean? It's it's, you know, the, it's, it's the not habitual, the same, but yeah, something to do residual behavior that can be, you know, trying to replicate something. But uh, yeah, the the. The, the soother is exactly that. It's there to soothe, you know, um, and it's a transitional object that many children cling to. And again, we've I've had the battles here with my middle daughter around getting rid of it, giving it to the Santi yeah. and giving it to this fairy person. tree, yeah, fairy trees. And, all <laughs> but, um, <laughs> and the thing was like in ribbons by the end of it. I don't think it even functioned as a soother by the time it was done. But, <laughs> but I, it's funny because the, the soother, I think, is a really in interesting symbol of our parenting style right so i always say when your first child drops the soother it goes into the sterilizer and you get a fresh one yes when the second child drops it hmm. you run it under the kettle and yeah. you give it back to them and when the third one drops it you wipe it in your jeans and shove yeah. it back in their mouth and it's kind of like the 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 difference in in our approach and you said that like when you have that first child that high level of anxiety around are they breathing okay are they doing okay by three, you're kind of going, yeah, it's fine. Yeah. So, and you're, 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 you're the child that, that, that the doctor says that arm has been broken for the last week. And you're kind of going, <laughs> but, uh, 
but uh, there's there's something very good about a bit of benign neglect as well because i think they they learn like i can see my third lad is way more uh, um, savvy than perhaps yes and hardier yeah yeah yeah. wise and those sorts of things but but yeah i think that i love the soother i think it's a real symbol of parenting you know how we it, respond to the dropped soother is oh it's so true it's so i think i had a little mobile egg thing on the first one that sterilized it you know one of these <laughs> gadgets that i got sucked into buying totally not not required and um, the other quick question i have if it's okay to throw one more at you Please, yeah keep going yeah is and I suppose this could relate to anybody, any of us, um, around friendships. So I should probably preface this by saying, you know, the lads have their own friendships and, you know, lovely, lovely friendships, and it's gorgeous to watch them. But much like adults, you know, they have these moments where they'll come in and tell me. And again, I'm I'm so pleased that they do share these little stories, or you know, whether they're good or bad. But they'll say, you know, doesn't want to be my friend anymore, or you know, doesn't like me, or says he doesn't like me. And I suppose that's always going to happen to any child. It happens to us as adults as well. But it cuts deep when it happens to your child, doesn't it? And you desperately want to protect them from, you know, these situations. You know yourself, you get that knot in your stomach if you think you're, you know, out of favor with your friends for whatever reason. But it's really cutting when it's your child. And I suppose I'm just looking for some language around that. And this is more uh, relating to the nine-year-old rather than the four-year-old who's probably oblivious to what group of friends he's part of. But the nine-year-old seems to say things like that every so often. And maybe it's boys are are particularly cruel or I don't know what it is, but I I just want to have that kind of collection of words or lines or sentences that will comfort him, not necessarily fix it, but just the right thing to say. The first thing to say is that the playground politic is the harshest you will ever come across. You can be excluded, ostracized, oscillated for absolutely no reason. So there's no rationality to it in the in the sense of, you know, you know, there might be a a friendship of three and they just decide we're going to be odd with you today. Do you know what I mean? And it's incredibly difficult to negotiate for the child because they don't understand why that's happened or why, you know, and so there doesn't, when there's no cause and effect, there's no logic. So in the absence of logic, the child's defense position is it must be something I've done. They must, I'm not good enough, you know, and I would always say that we need to move away from concentrating on making our children confident and making them have self-belief, which is a completely different thing. So, Confidence is very performative. It's how I project myself into the outside world. And I see loads of kids who are confident who end up in therapy. It's the self-worth, self-belief and self-value that's really important. So when you come home with that story of I've been rejected or I've been betrayed or I've been let down, it's really important that you send the message that that's not about you. Do you know what I mean? In terms of that's mm. this is, uh, it's kind of random and it's unpredictable. But then from the point of view of, Reevaluating his own value. Do you know what I mean? Because, you know, and obviously, if he did something, you obviously work through that and say, well, mm. did you say something? Um, but from the point of view of it's his self value, self worth, and self belief are the three things that you need to protect the most. So we can't protect our children from what will happen to them, but we can guide, support, and scaffold their response to the events. So Failure, disappointment, betrayal, these are all part of life. And, yeah. like, and the difficulty is that we're tempted to believe that we can snowplow in front of our children and avoid those adversities happening, and we can't. But 
how you teach your child to respond to disappointment. And the idea is that we need to, I, I would see life very much as, uh, I use this metaphor with children sometimes, it's like a glass of Maiwadi or Kiora, right? And the bad experiences we have are the concentrate and the yeah. good experiences are the water, right? So if there's bad experiences in there, we can't take them out, but we just need to add in more water and dilute it down. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. it's, it, it's about concentrating on being able to add in more good experiences than removing bad experiences. So if I have day in school where I feel lousy and I come home and I'm trying to understand what's, what's gone wrong, maybe it's not about addressing that issue, but it is about reminding me of my own qualities. And that's what I mean about the, the confidence in performance is very much, you're a good hurler, you're a good runner, you're very bright, you're very clever. And we're very tempted to tell our children that they're good at things. Yes, we are. Um, yeah. Rather than they're good. So you're kind, you're loyal. You're, and again, society doesn't value those things. You don't have a rewards night in TY where you get a prize <laughs> for being the nicest. No. You might get it for all the other stuff. So as a family with a value system, it's about us reminding them that the internal variable, which is who you are, is far more important than what you can do. And we have to kind of almost challenge that narrative all the time because they live in a world where they're streamed. You know, there's nothing as harsh as childhood and adolescence in terms of you're on the A's, you're on the B's, you're picked first, yeah. you're picked last, you got a C, I got a B. Like their complete life is scrutiny. You know, where do I come on the... And with that focus on, and again, you mentioned earlier on that your childhood wouldn't have had as many extracurricular activities, but the more extracurricular activities you have, the more scrutinized you are. Do you know what yeah. I mean? So the more you're open to that judgment. And I do think that a lot of our life is focused on outcome, not effort. And I think we, as the family unit, have to really focus back on effort, mm -hmm. kind of saying that, you know, it's not about saying, oh, you're different. You know, it's, it's just about reminding them. Although that's not addressing the issue around the fallout, it is preparing them and resourcing them with the skill set that they'll need to get through it. Do you yes, know what I mean? Yes. Um, and I'd say, you know, through COVID, when we've been able to find joy in things, it's made us more resilient to the sad stuff. In terms of we've been able to, like a, a relationship or a connection can sustain us for days. That good connection that, you know, that we have can, and it's important that we just nourish that and almost, but it's never been more important. And I'll, I'll tell you where I worry about this is that there's a kind of a, what I describe as the Tinderization of society. Okay. So if you think of Tinder and the things about, you know, whether you get swiped left or right, it's down to your profile page, your witty one line, your quirky yeah. job or whatever it is. So everything is front of house. Everything is, you know, your determined future is on how the outward facing you and likewise because of that focus that's where we're putting all our focus in in terms of trying to prepare children for the world but in actual fact it's the inward facing piece that's the way more important in terms of your relationship with yourself is the most important relationship you'll ever have in your life it's mm. not about the other relationships but because we know that society has become more tinderized in the sense of that we we want to equip our children with having that appeal but we also have to equip them with the disappointment of that appeal not working. And the way we do that is reinforcing to them what actually is important, which is those qualities. And I would say, despite friendships and social media and society and all those things, the biggest influence in your children's lives, especially at the ages yours are at, is home. You still okay. hold the lead influence. And so 
when they're coming home disappointed about things, it's maybe not about fixing the thing, but actually just bolstering them back up, responding, you know, add in the water. If they've come home and there's been more my wadi in, you just add in more water, you know, and keep it diluted so that it doesn't become bitter and tangy. Do you know what I mean? Yes. And again, I think we, I've been talking to lots of young people over the last year. We're doing a young people's episode of the podcast coming up where we just interviewed them on how they experienced the last year. And lots of the teenagers had this wonderful thing about people don't have to fix it. They just have to sit with me during it. Do you know what yes. I mean? And it's just, it's not about the biggest mistake mom and dad make is that they go, okay, let's go and do this, something about this rather than sitting and going, that sounds lousy. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? It's almost just the acknowledgement of the lousiness is enough in some respects because the playground politic is not going to end. That will continue. So you're building his resilience to that as opposed to trying to bypass all adversity, which is futile. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I, in hindsight, I, I think it's nurture. Your so listen, fun. be there for them. Remind, yeah, and remind them, them of the qualities. They are. We all need to be reminded that we're yeah. good at stuff. We always like we and think about the introduction that you said, you know, when I said about how I acknowledge your warmth and kindness every time that I've gone on the show and you went, I'm so glad to hear that. Do you know what I mean? From the point of view, we need to be reminded that we have all that stuff, which is in fact, more important than the list of awards and accolades. Do you know what I mean? And it sometimes means more. And it's the same for children. Do you know what I mean? Just because there's no medal involved doesn't mean your comment doesn't mean something. Of course it does. Yeah, and they don't need to hear it. Yeah, so true. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I love your um, water into the dilute analogy. It it actually, yeah, put more water in. Totally get it. Got a tough day. Let's make the afternoon better. Let's, you know, let's lift it. Let's... You know, rather than undoing what has happened, let's balance it out. Uh, and the more good experiences we have in our lives, the more we're able to absorb the bad ones. Like I always use the example of if I'm in a therapy session and thankfully it hasn't happened too much, but if a teenager went, you're rubbish and crap and kind of <laughs> stood up and walked out, you kind of think, oh, geez. Wow, that's you know. harsh. But what I used to do is I used to go down to my office and I used to take out the thank you cards and I used to read over them and go, I've helped yeah. a lot more people than I've hindered in my life. And, and these are the people who, so maybe that wasn't my greatest hour, but you know, learn from it and I'll move on. So it is reminding you of your own value as opposed to getting caught up in the one criticism. Does yes. that make sense? Um, of course, yeah, absolutely. I, I think that follows through to adulthood as well. Yeah, way. and to remind ourselves that regardless of how many friends your children have, they're going to have days where they feel a bit left out or you know, they're not part of one group or another. And I'll end on this. I think we can't control what other people do. We can only control our reaction and response to it. And um, it's reminding ourselves that that's the only thing I can manage here. But that relationship with ourselves at the end of the day, no matter how many people tell you, Anna Daly, you're fantastic and you're brilliant. It's you have to look in the mirror and critique yourself. And your truth is the only truth that matters. And so the voice that we use with our children is oftentimes the voice that they'll use in their own heads when they're talking to themselves. So make sure it's the one that's reassuring honest authentic and real you know yeah okay. does that make sense Great advice absolutely yeah brilliant advice thank you okay time has made fools of us unfortunately anna <laughs> but um i just wanted to say thank you so so much for your time and i really really appreciate it that that time flew i have to say that was it amazing. completely but flew which is a good sign um, a good sign thank you for having me and thank you for the advice today and uh you probably haven't realized it but i've, I've spent time weaving in my own personal questions into the uh, editorial for ireland am because you know why not well, why not <laughs> <laughs> so you've answered many a question for me as well as lots of viewers questions so thank 
Thank you. Cole. Not at all. Always a pleasure. And if anyone has anything that they want to get in touch with the show about, you can get it through to us on askingforaparent at gmail.com or to the Facebook, Twitter and Instagram pages. If you have any questions about anything that Anna and I have talked about today or anything that you're struggling with, please get us into us and we will deal with that in the listeners questions episode next week. But for now, I just want to say, Anna Daly, thank you very much for your time, your honesty and your insights today. It's really been a pleasure. And to everyone else who's out there, take care, stay safe and bye for now. That was the wonderful Anna Daly there and we had a great chat. I really enjoyed that conversation and I have to say the time flew as we talked about it. She brought up some really important issues. I think the issue around socialising and you know the playground politics of children trying to find their way. I think with the year that's been in it there's been a lot missed out for children around social development and perhaps we'll only maybe see some of the effects or impacts of that over the next number of months as the children return to a social environment that's quite demanding but it is important for us to remember that the playground politic is quite ruthless and there are ways in which children many children struggle to negotiate it so it's a really important topic for us to to discuss and chat through and i hope you got something out of it but my great thanks to anna daly for giving her time and being so generous with her honesty and her insights and it was a real great pleasure to get to chat to her again Uh, Next week, we will have our listeners' uh, voices episodes where we have, hopefully, I think we might have our primary school voices and let's hear how young people have found the last year and maybe they can give us some parenting advice from their perspective. It's a really, really great episode. I really hope you get to tune into it and listen to it. And for those who've been waiting for this episode to come up with bated breath who are actually feature on the episode the time is nearly there that we get to launch this one and you'll really, really enjoy it. So that's the Children's Voices episodes. And they'll be out next week, hopefully, once we get our edits finished. But uh, listen, have a great week. We'll talk to you next week. But until then, take care, stay safe and bye for now.